0: So what have you been doing this weekend? Taking care of business in some way, I'm sure. For me, taking care of business meant uh, being in our backyard planting some uh, raspberry bushes yesterday and some uh, honeysuckle uh, bushes, plants to uh, just attract the hummingbirds, we hope, uh, next summer. You know, many of us have heard of that phrase, taking care of business. It was made popular by the hit song of the same title recorded by the famous Canadian uh, rock band Bachman Turner Overdrive a number of years ago. If you tune into any classical AM or FM rock and roll station, no doubt you'll hear that cool little song, Taking Care of Business. But listen to this. Jesus taught us that sometimes taking care of business really means taking care of unfinished business. Now if you pay attention to the news media, You'll know that sometimes they make an error in reporting. They're going to have to publicly own up to their own mistake in order to maintain their reputation. They're going to have to take care of some unfinished business. Years ago, the chairman of the Chrysler Corporation was a man by the name of Lee Iacocca. And a newspaper printed a story about Mr. Iacocca, but instead of printing his name as Lee Iacocca, they printed Lee Iacucu. So now the newspaper has got a problem, right? And they print an apology with a correction to the story, but unfortunately this time they compound their mistake by printing Lee Iacaca. (laughs) Well, give them credit. At least they were trying to make it right. They knew they had to take care of unfinished business. Now, if the secular media understand their need to own up to their faults, to print corrections, to make amends for their mistakes, How much more do you think the followers of Jesus should be willing to take care of unfinished business in our lives? By identifying people that we have purposely or unwittingly harmed, by owning up to our wrongs, and by seeking to make them right. It's called making amends. It's called restitution. It's an essential step in the process of growing into maturity as a Christ follower. Because he taught us that following Jesus means walking down Restitution Road. Today we're going to take a journey of discovery down that difficult path. Here's what we're going to discover. We're going to discover that if you want God's blessing in your life, you need to pack your bags and travel Restitution Road. It's a road we all have to walk down. And we're going to discover that traveling down Restitution Road will be one of the most hardest of journeys that you will ever take in your life, and it will test whether or not you are serious about being a follower of Jesus. And you'll discover that God is not in the business of handing out any roadmaps with detour signs on them when it comes to Restitution Road. There are no detours for the Christ follower on this journey. We're also going to discover that journeying down Restitution Road is one of the most satisfying and deeply fulfilling journeys that you will ever take in your Christian life. So we're going to begin our journey of discovery this morning by standing together, please stand, and we're going to read out loud together that great story from the Bible of someone who one day walked down Restitution Road. So will you read out loud with me together from Luke 19? Let's read. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from Scripture that teach us about Zacchaeus and his experience on Restitution Road, about the impact that Jesus had on him. I pray for each one of us here today that you would give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit would say to us, and that you would give us courage to respond in ways that would honor you. In your wonderful name I pray, Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, each one of us, just like Zacchaeus, is on a spiritual journey. When he met Christ, Zacchaeus underwent a life-changing conversion that radically altered his view of himself and he knew he couldn't stay the same. He knew he had to walk down Restitution Road. And when he did, it resulted in profound implications for him and for everyone around him. Restitution Road was a pivotal step for Zacchaeus on his journey to spiritual wholeness. And this weekend, walking down Restitution Road may be the next step that you need to take on your journey to spiritual wholeness. But before we unpack what is involved in this journey down Restitution Road, we need to understand some of the important spiritual steps that come before Restitution Road. And so many of you may recognize some of these steps from any 12-step or Steps to Freedom program. First, we need to be honest and recognize that in ourselves we are powerless to fully overcome the problems in our lives. We haven't got what it takes to live a life that is fully pleasing to God. The Bible is pretty blunt about this, you know. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It boldly emphasizes our sin problem when it says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And so having come face to face with our impoverished spiritual condition which we just read about, we recognize the good news that there is a power greater than ourselves the living son of God Jesus Christ who died for our sins was buried and raised from the dead for us to help us do what we could not do for ourselves to forgive our sin to make us whole to give us a right relationship with God to help us to overcome the sin habits and the destructive behaviors in our lives anger fear lust greed resentment gossip, overeating, whatever it might be. That's why he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus is in the business of taking our weak, destructive, sinful, self-centered nature and giving us a makeover like he did with Zacchaeus. And having recognized this Jesus, this person who is an infinitely greater power than ourselves, we intentionally choose to turn our wills in our lives over to Him, whom the Bible calls our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We acknowledge to God that I'm not able to run my life and do a fantastic job of it. I mess up sometimes. And we run up the white flag of surrender to God through Christ and we say, I can't do it, God. I can't erase my sin. I can't make my life whole. I can't but you can. And we confess our need for Jesus to be our Savior, our forgiver, our leader, for that's who He is. And recognizing this, we humbly turn our will and our lives over to Christ. And so we intentionally choose to become followers of Jesus, asking Him to take control and make us to be like Him. And when we take this step, we are, in the words of Jesus Himself, born again. We come alive spiritually. When we've made that step, that decision point, to turn our lives over to Jesus Christ, a new phase in our spiritual lives begins. The Bible says that we have gone from darkness to light. And like Zacchaeus, having encountered Christ as Lord and Savior, we realize now that we can't go on living life like we always used to. We can't go on living as if nothing has happened. We can't confess to Christ that we are sinners, invite Him into our lives to be our forgiver and our leader, and receive His life-giving Spirit, and then just continue to live life the way we always did. We instinctively know that life needs to change, and we intuitively begin to sense that we need to acknowledge our past, and with God's help, start to clean it up. And so we take the next step. The step of conducting a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We say, I want to change. I want to do life the way Jesus did. And so we hold up a mirror to our lives and we confront ourselves and we see defects there and we admit these to God. We ask Him to turn the searchlight of His Holy Spirit on us and reveal to us anything that is displeasing to Him. And we agree with God when He shows stuff to us and we stop denying, and we stop covering up who we really are. So we conduct this fearless moral inventory of ourselves, and as much as it hurts, we say, yep, that's me. And so we start to tell ourselves the truth about ourselves. And when we've done this, we admit it all to God. It's called confession. We acknowledge it, and we confess it all, and we receive His full and complete forgiveness. For the Bible says these wonderful words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then, having conducted this fearless moral inventory on ourselves and confessed it to God, we ask God to do surgery on us whatever it takes to begin to remove these defects of character and to change our hearts. We ask Him to take our broken, defective personalities and mold them into something beautiful and healthy and whole, becoming more and more like Christ. Now, it's not easy taking these steps to wholeness. But my guess is that many of you have already done so. We had to acknowledge, didn't we, that we were sinners in need of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We knew we had to turn our lives and our will over to Him. We confessed all our sins as best we knew them. We asked God to make us whole like Christ. And God says, good work. You've started well on your journey with Christ. With my help, you've done some really important internal spiritual house cleaning. But listen carefully, God says. If the renovation of your spiritual life is to be total and complete, then you have to recognize that your life is more than your vertical relationship with me. Your life also consists of external relations with others. And God says, I know that some of those relationships are in need of repair. And until you move from that internal house cleaning phase to the unfinished business of external repair work, you'll never fully become the person I want you to be. You'll never fully experience the joy and peace and everything good that I have in store for you. And so God says today, I invite you to walk with me down restitution road. And so you take a deep breath and you begin to journey down restitution road. You set out to clean up all of the bruised relationships and the guilt and the pain and the fear and the resentment and the sadness that are stuck to the misdeeds that we've all done in the past that hurt others and hurt us. Walking down Restitution Road means asking God to take us back to the scenes of our past relational crimes. Maybe it was an unkind word that you said to your spouse this morning. Maybe it was stealing an idea from a co-worker and claiming it as your own. Maybe it was withholding affection from your child out of spite, maybe for many years. Maybe you ripped somebody off. Maybe you sent a text message that you know you never should have sent. Maybe you lied about somebody and hurt their reputation. Maybe you publicly embarrassed or humiliated somebody. Maybe you really hurt your parents. Perhaps you dumped your boyfriend or your girlfriend in a way that left them with a deep hurt. Maybe you stole from your employer, like I once did, or falsified your tax records. Walking down Restitution Road is all about identifying the people we have harmed, whether they are aware of it or not, owning up to the wrong and seeking to make it right. And folks, this is where the rubber really meets the road. This is where we discover just how serious we are about following Jesus. Here at the beginning of Restitution Road is where we are confronted with one of the great litmus tests of true spirituality. Are we prepared to make a list of all those persons we have harmed? Are we willing to make amends to them all? Tough assignment, isn't it? I suspect for most people talking about making amends would likely be as difficult as asking the Canadian women's Olympic soccer team to say something nice about a certain referee. (laughs) It's tough because making amends runs contrary to our self-protective instincts. Ever since Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the Garden of Eden and then blame each other for their disobedience, we've been inflicted with this propensity to not face up to our sin, to not admit and deal honestly with our faults and failure. And that's why when someone suggests that maybe we should start walking down Restitution Road we're tempted to use some diversionary tactics Take a detour. Hey, let's not get mired in the past. I mean, hasn't God forgiven me? Didn't the Apostle Paul even talk about forgetting those things which are behind? I think I'll just take a detour around Restitution Road. Or we blame the very one we hurt for our misbehavior and justify our hurtful behavior by saying, well, they deserved it. Or we may try and detour around Restitution Road by actually denying that we ever hurt them we were just joking we say or come on they can take it or we try and do an end run around our need to make direct amends and instead we start to pacify the person that we hurt by doing good deeds for them somehow thinking that the good we do for them now is gonna cancel out the evil that we did in the past Or we continue to bury the incident deep in our memory we just stuff it tenaciously trying to Ignore every time God places it on our conscience. But there are no detours on restitution road. And we make a fatal mistake if we think we can somehow detour around this messy, bumpy restitution road on the journey to spiritual wholeness and life change because we can't. Because there is only one way to spiritual wholeness and life change. God's way. And He never holds up a detour sign for us to follow. You see, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The sooner we learn this lesson, the sooner we are on the way to spiritual maturity, you cannot detour your way around to spiritual wholeness. You can't sidestep the will of God. God's Word teaches us so clearly that in the Christian life, obedience always precedes blessing. Obedience always precedes blessing. God has never altered His plan for wholeness yet, and He's not going to make exceptions for you or me, no matter how daunting Restitution Road may look. You see, God is a God of peace, He is a God of unity, a God of oneness. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now what does that mean? Well listen to these words of Jesus from the famous Sermon on the Mount. Therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. Friends this is a remarkable verse. Hear what Jesus is saying. It's so important that my followers make amends if they've harmed someone that I want them to go and take care of unfinished business before doing business with me. Get this, for Jesus, reconciliation comes before worship. He's saying please don't come and worship me or carry out your acts of service if you know that you've harmed somebody and you haven't made it right. Let me illustrate it with this simple story. When we try to ignore or deny the hurt that we have son done to someone else and still maintain a relationship with God, we're like the little boy who found a rather large cigar one day and ran down the street behind the family garage to smoke it. Didn't taste very good, but made him feel all growing up to puff away on it, at least until he saw his father coming around the corner. Quickly he hid the burning cigar behind his back, tried desperately to appear casual to divert his father's attention he pointed to a billboard at the end of the street advertising the circus coming to town can I go to the circus dad please the father's quiet reply taught the boy a lesson he never forgot son he said never ask me to do something for you while you are holding a smoldering disobedience behind your back (laughs) friends let's not make the mistake of thinking We can develop a healthy, intimate relationship with God while we have this unfinished business, this smoldering disobedience behind our back, which came about because we harmed someone in the past. So the first benefit of walking down Restitution Road is this. Walking down that road revitalizes our spiritual health. God is no longer grieved. The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Instead, he is pleased, the Bible says, seek to please God. We experience the joy then of knowing that God is happy with us. We have this inner sense of saying, of of hearing him say, "Uh, that means a lot to me. I want you to live at peace with all people. You did good, keep it up. Here's the second benefit. You've confessed your misdeeds to God, but until we confess it to the person we've harmed, we haven't brought closure to our wrongdoing. We may have vertical forgiveness, but we don't have relational reconciliation with people. And we don't have inner peace and a conscience free of guilt. The emotional pain and regret that is in our life will not go away until we say, I'm sorry. When we hurt someone, we burn bridges to them. It's difficult to get close again, isn't it? How many husbands and wives live in the same house, but they are far apart? And so we carry around this backpack of guilt and regrets that weigh us down. And every time we hurt someone, we put another article in that backpack. And some of you listening here today may be carrying around a heavy backpack. I can tell you from personal experience, there's nothing better than being free of that backpack. When I was in grade 10, I picked up a wonderful ball glove. I still have it today. I was playing ball with my son the other day when we were visiting him in British Columbia. It's a great ball glove. I love it. I got it from the Eaton's Department Store sporting goods section. I stole it in grade 10 and for six months my conscience weighed heavy on me. And I remember the day I walked up to the customer service counter and laid the ball glove on the counter and said, I, I need to tell you that I stole this ball glove. I'm sorry, I want to make amends. I'd like to pay for it. A really good sense of peace ensues when you do that. I, I really wasn't a, a follower of Jesus yet, and in my late teen and early 20 years, I was pumping gas at uh, the gas station at Eastview Motel in Saskatoon, and the customer would pay, And I would walk up to the till, and I'd put $10 in the till and $5 in my pocket. Did that a number of times. And then a time came when I met Jesus Christ and invited Him to be my Lord and Savior. And you know, one of the first things He said to me, it's time to start walking down Restitution Road, Gord. What are you going to do about those things? And I remember sitting at the kitchen table, writing a letter to the manager of Eastview Motel confessing to him that I had stolen money from him, asking for his forgiveness, enclosing a check to make amends for as best I could remember what I had stolen. You've all heard the Lotto 649 mantra, can you imagine the freedom? But can you imagine the real freedom of being able to go anywhere and not be afraid of running into someone with whom you have an unresolved issue and from whom you would rather hide? you see there's something very attractive about knowing that you can look anyone in the eye without having your conscience flinch on you there's a third benefit that comes when we walk down restitution road early in our married life I discovered how selfish and insensitive a person I really was when I said some deeply hurtful things to my wife if you've experienced marriage you can likely identify the result of my sin was predictable hurt pain disunity, fear about what might happen to our new marriage. But when I said, honey, I'm sorry, please forgive me, we began to grow close to one another and we would knit together tighter than I ever dreamed was possible for two people. We made the great discovery that making amends brings relational wholeness and rebuilds the bridges that we have selfishly destroyed. I like the words of Lee Strobel who said it this way, When we make amends we clear out the stumps and weeds that are in the soil of our lives because we have harmed others and we create a clear place where relationships can grow and be healthy. Think of it this way, God wants us to be environmentalists of the Spirit, people who are committed to cleaning up the toxic dumps of hurt relationships from the past. But you need to know there is a price to walk down Restitution Road our natural sinful instincts want to protect our self-image and reduce our fear of vulnerability. And as soon as we start thinking about making amends, what the Bible calls our old self quickly starts to erect all sorts of barricades in front of Restitution Road. And some of you who have courageously struggled to make amends to someone, you know how difficult these barriers can be to overcome. There's the blockade of self-deception. Come on, I didn't really hurt them. There's the blockade of self-defense. Hey, look what they did to me. There's the blockade of self-image. What will people think of me if I come clean? There's the blockade of self-importance. Humble myself, grovel before others. Are you kidding? There's the blockade of self-protection. I'm downright scared of admitting my wrong. I just couldn't handle the embarrassment the exposure the shame that I would feel now these are real barriers and we need to be brutally honest It's tough for us to say that what we did was sin and that we need to make it right but Jesus said whoever wants to follow me must deny himself take up his cross and follow me and so with the help of Christ's power the serious follower of Jesus doesn't flinch, looks straight ahead, and knocks down every one of those barriers along restitution road. They say, I don't care what people think of me, I don't care what will happen to me, I only want to please God to obey Him. I want to get this backpack off. I want to be free. And friends, what's the real alternative anyway? Because the price we pay for refusing to let God take us back to the scenes of our past relational crimes and make amends, it's a very steep price. Our sense of guilt will not go away, and that guilt is real before God. Our regret will not heal. Our conscience will become dull and insensitive. Our spiritual life will languish. We will never breathe the free, pure air of knowing that our relationships are right with God and with others. Think of it like this. I used to drive my son to school and on the road there was always a stream of those big yellow school buses on the street that we took and sometimes we'd get caught behind one of them. Those yellow school buses had a small exhaust pipe that ran straight under the bus and stuck out under the rear bumper. And If you got caught behind one of those buses you inevitably would drive in an ugly cloud of toxic exhaust fumes. You know, until you make amends to people that you have harmed, it's like you continue to drive through life having to breathe in the toxic exhaust fumes of your own misdeeds day after day, and it ain't pleasant. When Zacchaeus met Christ, he decided to stop breathing in the exhaust fumes of his own misdeeds. I love his story. Jesus shows up. Zacchaeus starts to see himself through clear glasses he recognizes it's time to deal with unfinished business but I can imagine the depth of his internal struggle what are these people gonna think of me if I admit that I've been stealing from them what if they abuse me in response what if my fellow tax collectors ostracize me but deep down Zacchaeus knew he couldn't allow his concern about image management, fear of embarrassment, or the potential for rejection to keep him from experiencing the freedom that Christ brings. And so I can imagine him taking Christ aside for a moment in his house and quietly saying to him, Master, I, I think I need to take care of some uh, unfinished business with the people in this town. Uh, I've uh, been extorting and... Uh, stealing from them, and I feel bad about this. I know, Jesus says. Well, what do you think I should do, Master? Well, Zacchaeus, what do you think you should do? I think I need to make it right, and I need to show them that I really mean it. And I can visualize Jesus reaching out with a tear of joy on his cheek, putting his hand on Zacchaeus' shoulder and saying, Good for you. I love you. I'll be with you. Now go and do what you need to do. And I can imagine Zacchaeus standing on a chair in his living room because he's a short guy. And he shouts to the crowd in his house, Hey, everybody, listen up. This is not easy for me. And he looks over at Jesus, But, but i got to tell you, I, I stole from you. I threatened you. I sinned against you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to do everything I can to make it up. No wonder Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house because you see salvation is in fact all about being made whole whole in our relationship with God and whole in our relationship with others that's God's desire and today you may be saying Gord you've been speaking right at me and I've heard you tell me how do I go about making amends starting today Well, listen first ask yourself who have I wronged be honest with yourself ask God to help you remember let him speak to your conscience he'll point out the names he's really good at doing that be courageous here the barriers of self-interest may make it difficult for you to identify names but ask God for strength list them one by one list them in your mind or even write them down on a piece of paper and admit the pain and hurt you caused. Acknowledge the particular nature of your wrongdoing. Confess it to God if you haven't. And then ask God to help you make amends. Because you may find yourself saying, I can't do this. I want to, but I'm not strong enough. But remember what God has said to us about Himself, to those of us who are followers of Christ. With God all things are possible. I will never leave you or forsake you, he said. He said, cast all your care on me because I care for you. And remember those great words of the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can walk down restitution road in the strength that Christ will give me. And then go and make amends. Remember what Jesus said? Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You should make your amends in person, face to face, or on the phone, or if there's no other way, by letter or even by email. And now some practical advice. First, get right with God. If you're here this morning and you have never bowed your knee to God, confessed your sin to Him and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you've never said, I want to follow you. I want you to be my forgiver and my leader. Come into my life. That's the first step. Admit and confess your defects and your sins to Him. Receive His forgiveness. Ask Him to change your life. He's in the business of doing that. And then start by making amends with people closest to you, your family, close friends, work out from there, maybe to neighbors or to a co-worker or maybe to your employer as I had to do or to a teacher and you know some amends are going to be simple I'm I'm not saying they're not going to be difficult but relatively simple apologizing for a simple hurtful word or making restitution for a small amount of money that you stole others may be more complex and we need to seek the counsel of a mature Christian before proceeding for example adultery or theft with major financial implications perhaps or criminal behavior it's possible that making amends with some persons may actually hurt them more when you do than you originally hurt them so We need to seek the counsel of a mature Christian sometimes to see what is the best way to proceed. And we need to understand that there is no guarantee that people are going to accept your amends. I talked to someone after the first service this morning, and that was exactly their situation. How do I respond? Because this person did not accept my amends. They may say, I can't forgive you. They may say, I reject you. That's why we need to have a right relationship with God first to help us get over the hurt of being rejected if we make amends. And we need to make sure that we've forgiven the person who has hurt us before we go and ask them to forgive us, before we go and make amends for hurting them. Because oftentimes, both people have hurt each other. And of course, we need to make sure that we forgive the person who comes and makes amends to us. God's Word clearly says we are to forgive others just as God has forgiven us. And what is the conclusion of all of this? Wonderful things happen when we make amends. Marriages are healed. Long-standing bitterness and resentment is washed away. Children and parents are restored. People are free to hug, hold hands, and be hospitable. People can look each other in the eye and smile. The family of God becomes a real community of love and forgiveness. God is pleased. His spirit is no longer grieved. He's now free to do His work in our lives and through us to other people as we become productive in service for Christ our Lord. And really, what could be better than that? So let me close with a real-life example. A friend of mine traveled down Restitution Road, and he wrote me this letter. Dear Pastor Gord, and by the way, as I read this letter, you're going to see woven into this letter everything that I have been talking about so far. I wanted to let you know that I have finally acted on the Holy Spirit's prompting to contact Larry and ask for his forgiveness. God always keeps His promises, doesn't He? I feel closer to God now than ever before. You'll recall a few months ago how with much difficulty I confessed to our small group how over 25 years ago I had deeply hurt Larry, a junior high school friend. Ever since then I've had a strong conviction to make contact with Larry and ask for his forgiveness. I guess because of foolish pride, however, I couldn't find the courage to do what was right. As much as I tried to forget the incident, it was clear that God was not going to let me off the hook. Anyway, through the support and encouragement from the men's group I met with on Saturday mornings, I finally came to the point where I wrote Larry a letter. I told him that I had become a Christian, and because of Jesus Christ working in my life, I needed Him to forgive me for the harm that I had done Him. Being obedient to God in this way has made a tremendous difference in my relationship to Christ and has freed me from the guilt I had struggled with for so long. I haven't heard back from Larry yet, but I know God is pleased. Please share this note with others if you think it might help them. When I read that letter I said there's somebody who's free, free to enjoy God, free from the inner pain and guilt and remorse, free to rebuild a relationship. When he put a stamp on that letter and mailed it off, he took off the backpack that had weighed him down for years." It's what God wants all of us to do. It may be this morning He's speaking to you by His Spirit and He's saying, I'd like you to walk down Restitution Road with me because I want you to breathe the free air of what it's like to take that backpack off and be truly free and to experience a wonderful relationship with me where your sin is forgiven and the guilt is gone and a renewed relationship with people that you may have harmed. Is God asking you to walk down Restitution Road? Let's stand and bring our time together to a close and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and uh, close your eyes in this sacred moment of prayer. Has God been speaking to you? Do you need to walk down Restitution Road and make amends? If so, I would like to pray for you. And if God has been speaking to you and you know you need to walk down Restitution Road, just raise your hand where you are. I want to acknowledge that. Yes, 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 many people. Raising your hands. Anyone else? Yes? Father God, in the name of Christ, thank you for your Holy Spirit who instructs us and who teaches us and who convicts us. And for these people who have raised their hands and perhaps others who didn't have the courage to do that, I pray that you would bring into their lives strength and courage, to go and make amends, as Jesus said. Help each one of us to live at peace with all people. Help us to live like you did, Jesus, to live life the way you did and the way you want us to now. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not yet have a relationship with you, who has not confessed their sin and invited Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, and has never experienced that wonderful, beautiful life to the full that Jesus talks about. I pray that you would give them courage and strength to give their life to you. In your wonderful name, I pray. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I'll be with you when you walk down Restitution Road, and the love of God the Father, who has said, I love you, And I want to help you walk down Restitution Road. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself, who makes it possible for us to find courage and strength to walk down Restitution Road. Be with us all until we see each other again. In the name of the wonderful Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God bless you all.